comes even. Good. Oh my God, I messed this up so bad. I wanted to say good morning and then we're live, but it came out as good. Uh. Welcome in everybody. Make sure you can see us okay. Make sure you can hear us okay. We have an amazing panel today, y'all. There's so much to talk about. We were literally the reason why we're a little late is because we couldn't get ourselves to stop talking <laughs> before before we went live. And so this really lends to really good. Uh, I think it's going to be a great day for us to talk about. So our things to talk about today. We got uh, Richard, we got Hans, we got Brian. Thank you all very much for or joining us today. I'm very excited to uh, to really hit the topics uh, that we have. Uh, we're going to do about an hour and a half here. And then after the hour and a half, we're going to take it to my private discord and uh, discuss further what, wherever we leave off after the discussion. If you want to be part of that discussion, consider becoming a patron or signing up through YouTube right below. Uh, but yeah, let's just get started right away because there's so much to talk about here. Um, I'm going to have producer wife bring up a tweet from Sawyer. If you want to go into the uh, into the uh, DMs on Discord, babe, and pull up Sawyer's uh, tweet, it should be like the second message I sent you today. Um, there is a China price cuts. Uh, China uh, went ahead and processed some price cuts today uh, for Tesla cars. Breaking from Sawyer Merritt. Shout out Sawyer, always on top of the ball here. Tesla has reduced their price, uh, the car prices in China. Here are the new starting prices in United States dollars. Model 3 real wheel drive is down about 11.7%, down to $33,000 equivalent. Sometimes we forget just how cheap these cars are in China relative to US prices. Uh, Model 3 performance down 5.7% to $48,014. Model Y standard range down 10% to 37,826. Model Y long range down 13.4% to 45,103. And Model Y performance down 9.5% to 52,381. If only Tesla had these prices in the US, the Model Y 5 seater could get the IRA tax rate, but obviously it doesn't work that way. So, um, and there's been some reports as well around uh, sort of the demand and, and what's going on there. I, I sent producer wife a couple of videos as well when she has a chance to pull them up, if you don't mind adding them. But let's just go down the list. Let's go Richard, Hans, Brian. Uh, What's your take? I would love to hear what your thoughts are here. Positive, negative, uh, what's going through your mind? Let's Let's kick it off, go ahead. Yeah, so um, first of all, I'm going to talk about MMTLP later. So that's why I'm going by that designation today. But I see the the price drop is excellent because it's going to increase sales, and that's the issue. Um, you know, so margins probably will drop for a while, but they'll increase market share. They'll be able to compete more directly with BYD. Uh, BYD seems to be like the only one who has their act together in China. Because I saw, for example, Neo just came out with a new product. And the first thing they did is they recalled all the cars, uh, the ET5, like a thousand units of that. Um, so I think ultimately it's going to increase sales. Uh, um, I wish there was a $33,000 car in the United States. And, you know, when, when Gary Black talks about, you know, we talked about the 30000 and the $25,000 car. If they keep on cutting prices, we're going to be there. And obviously the new, um, whatever the new platform is, that would seem to be the slam dunk for getting to that next price point and keeping the margins at the same level. Hans, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we have a below $35,000 Tesla. Like, that should be breaking news. We're finally, you know, we, it was kind of semi-available in the U.S. for a little while, but, like, now this is something that's easy for everyone to access that's in the design studio. Um, I think that's a good thing. Honestly, you know, we've just got to go take it back to what Elon has said in the past. Prices were embarrassingly high, and a lot of that had to do with, supply chain issues and inflation um 
don't forget that as they're increasing production, that they're drastically reducing their cost of goods sold there. Um, so yes, we may see a margin hit, but it's probably not going to be as bad as some people might anticipate based on the price drop. Um, but ultimately, you know, the mission of Tesla is to transition the world's uh, trend to accelerate the transition of the world to sustainable energy and sustainable transport. This is a great step on that path. And I'm excited to yeah see what this translates to in sales numbers. Um, you know, it does raise questions on, you know, what's demand like in China. I think that the interview that Matt and Emmett did the other day with the employee from China that worked with Tom Zhu was great. And it did kind of paint a little bit different picture than we get a lot of times here in the United States of perhaps the brand damage that was done to Tesla in China during the whole thing with the brakes. Um, that was really a concerted effort to smear like a, just a, a concerted smear campaign in China against Tesla. Um, but I think that as they continue to deliver high quality vehicles, um, maybe at reduced prices that, and especially once they announce and reveal the made in China for China market special third generation platform vehicle, um, that that will go a long way for Tesla's brand in that area. Um, it, overall, you know, I, I think maybe there's going to be some turbulence here. I'm excited to see the progress. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I think this is going to translate to great headlines in the United States. Um, or investor sentiment getting super excited. Brian, what do you think? So um, I've done an analysis uh, before on the, uh, or gathered the data on the different um, pricing segments. It's, it's uh, funny that people who cover, the analysts who cover um, the cars don't, you know, they, they look at car segments before for ICE cars, but they don't look as much for um, uh, the EVs and stuff. Because they say, okay, you know, $40,000 and up cars. By my analysis, Tesla always had 40% or more, like, you know, 67% in the United States, 40, 50% in Europe, and 40% and in China for the $40,000 uh, and up market. And then now that they're dropping down to $33,000, um, the clean technical link I put in there that has BYD sales, the, the BYD seal is an EV car that's uh, quite comparable at about 31K. Uh, BYD Han is about $40,000, but um, it's not just uh, BYD. It's like, like Tesla didn't have all of the um, $40,000 and up cars in China as well. They had, you know, a bunch of other competitors, Neo and other stuff like that, and also Mercedes and that kind of thing. So when they drop down to that 30000 market, I roughly estimate that it does double the uh, total addressable market that they're looking at when they drop down to $33,000. Um, but the... Um, there is a hit on, on margins. If we were to ballpark it and say it was, you know, half, you know, worst case, say down to, to, to you know, to 10% of it, that's for the domestic cars that sell into um, into uh, China, right? Which, what, about one third of the cars, right? So you export some to Europe, you have Europe made Berlin cars, and then you have, you know, you know Austin and Fremont, which have the same $500 tax credit. So the more pressure that um, uh, Tesla is under, the more important that same $500 tax credit and the other tax credits for the other products uh, become. Um, <clears throat> there is some reset period because 
Tesla's doing these actions where they can manage it, but it's kind of thing where we don't see, we have this three month, four month delay on what the margins are. Like we don't know until January 25th, what the margins were for Q4. We don't know until April 20th or whatever that, what the Q1 uh, margin end up being. So it's something where the proof will be um, uh, um, delayed for them to, to just say, okay, our margins are still okay. You know, we're, we're able to manage it. Um, the increased volume means we we take off a couple percent uh, improved margin there. So there's many things which I think it's it's a good move. It will increase their sales closer to potential. They if they ran flat out um, with scale Berlin, Austin, and 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 Shanghai, they could do 2.6, 2.7, maybe 3 million vehicles this year. Um, but, you know, we have this adjustment period and there's our, you know, big problems for, you know, <clears throat> potential recession and also the um, the uh, potential for repos on, on used cars that could have pricing hits here. But, you know, they have the manufacturing advantage, the, the thick margins to begin with and the Inflation Reduction Act uh, to help them. So that's my take yeah. on that. No, that, that's, that's all three of you, excellent takes. I think the, the way I view it, and, and thank you for sharing this link, Brian. So Producer Wife has it up here. Uh, these are BYD's uh, top selling cars in, uh, in China, I guess, is really their own, I guess, in the Asia Pacific market they sell. But this is how many they've, uh, they've sold in the last year in 2022. And this is January sales compared to December. And also have producer wife bringing up some pictures for each one of those top three models so y'all can see what it looks like uh so the byd song uh, this is the byd song max pure electric to launch this year so it already launched uh so this car is their best-selling car uh and they sold roughly 70 what was it seventy-nine thousand or something uh in in december uh for the month uh if you go to the next one the next uh cars picture if you can bring it up uh while you're working on it perfect so this is the byd han so this is the second best-selling car in China, uh, zero to sixty, a uh, zero to hundred kilometers, which is I guess zero to sixty miles per hour, is three point nine seconds, um, five hundred twenty-one kilometers of range. Now that the one key, the one key thing to keep in mind here is that each country does very different. They they measure range in a very different manner, and some countries are very, um, let's just say. Uh, they're very willing to give you the benefit of the doubt from an efficiency perspective and some other countries don't. So I think the US in comparison to China and Europe is especially strict when it comes to stated ranges. I think Europe and China are both very, uh, they, they, they used to, they're usually inflated by about 10 to 20%. Um, and then the next car, which is, um, so there was the song, the Han, and then the third one I believe is called the Yuan. Thank you very much. And so this is the, the third best selling car in, in, from BYD in the Chinese market. Um, which uh, I forget what how many they sold. If you can bring up the initial list there, producer wife, so we can read it real quick, if you don't mind. Um, Twenty nine thousand units in December. So uh, this these are the top three cars that uh, I guess I don't know if necessarily they're competitors to Tesla. Really, the only one that sticks out to me as a competitor, just based on just looking at the car and the form factor, the Han's probably the closest uh to to a direct competitor to tesla yeah so that looks a little bit more premium um the other two looked much more like a volkswagen golf volkswagen sort of like you know like maybe a more mass market type competitor but regardless regardless if the chinese market's going to be in a situation where folks want to be able to afford a cheaper car then lowering the prices seems to be a a pretty big positive for uh the the chinese market as long as like brian 
to Brian's point, if they can maintain some sort of margin that the let's say from an investment perspective, the, the Wall Street's going to be happy with, and that's going to be the biggest question going into 2023. What are these? What do these price decreases imply from a margin perspective? Um, go ahead. Uh, I see a couple of people going off coming off me here. Yeah, I was so just going to mention oh, real quick. Yeah, sorry that um, Leon Wu, he was the the guest that Emmett and Matt interviewed the other day about Tom Zhu, but he made a point which you know it's a single point of data that you may not want to take too seriously, but basically that you know Tesla has a brand image that is among like the premium brands in China and that it may have taken a mild hit in that segment compared to other things, but that BYD, like the Chinese consumer does not see BYD on a level playing field with Tesla in terms of brand. And they're very brand conscious. Um, and so as Tesla does start to compete more and more with BYD head to head on price, they definitely should have, if, if Leon's um, assessment is accurate, a very significant brand advantage um, when going against BYD. So anyways, that was just one, one minor point that I wanted to raise. Sure. Uh, and just a heads up, Hans, you're, you're, I think your mic switched over to your AirPods for some reason. So maybe look into that. Yeah. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah. So uh, I was going to say is I think the bigger issue is I, I, I understand that BYD is operating at like a 4% margin. So I think with those margins so low, that makes that new platform even more important. Because again, if we can reduce the cost by 20% and get under under thirty thousand dollars, then I don't think BYD can compete with the price and make money at all. And the Chinese government, I'm sure, is going to subsidize them to some degree, but they're not going to continue to subsidize a, an ongoing losing enterprise. So I think I think that Tesla has to undercut in price because I think from a cultural standpoint, um, the Chinese people don't like to feel like they didn't get the best deal, regard when other people are are doing better. And I think that kept Tesla from maybe uh, accelerating the growth in China. Um, the other thing I was going to say is I, I've been seeing like financial uh, economists talking about GDP growth in 2023 and United States is very obviously flat or in recession. Europe is flat, but China, they're still predicting a positive GP, GDP growth over four and a half percent. And if that's the case, they'll they'll buy cars in China. And so that market will become really important, I think, especially during a recession in the United States. Well, what's fascinating about the Chinese market is, uh, you know, for the last for the last two years, their, their zero COVID policy has been has been quite a, uh, a severe sort of cap on their ability to grow as fast as they want. Right. You know, anytime there is any sort of outbreak, boom, shut down factories. Anytime there's any sort of outbreak, boom, shut down the stores and everything. So now in 2023, theoretically, now that the zero COVID policy has been reversed and now everybody, you know, everybody and their mother is getting sick right now in China for the next probably like the next couple months. In theory, exiting Q1, whatever uh, I'm going to call it an artificial cap, whatever artificial cap was placed on China's growth will lift, will lift, which will allow the government in, in China, and again, I'm not super familiar with with the, the you know with the government and 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 the culture and all that stuff. But it seems to me that for the last 20 years, the Chinese government it's all about growth, 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 right? And now in 2023, 
any any sort of artificial cap you had in place is now gone so now it becomes a from an automotive industry perspective it becomes a i think the equation will be who can grow the fastest in 2023 and that's directly linked to pricing go ahead brian so um in terms of the byd brand um so people don't get it started before uh tesla making electric cars so they were kind of the first and then tesla passed them when they got the model three so they didn't pass them until like 2017. um byd had now just on three electric cars and they're always making gas hybrid and and electric cars and they dropped the gas cars they also had a reset around 2019 2018 where basically they went from a bunch of cars to practically nothing they, they had like several months of like no uh, almost no production um and it was because they had to like refresh and, and put out new, new vehicles because their old ones had problems right um and so they they had um a certain um um, bad image that they overcome, but the fact that they got, you know, sorry, this is BYD, BYD, BYD had that okay. problem. Um, but, um, so going, so that's one of the branches they have, they, they overcome it clearly. They, okay. They, you know, the China market has mostly forgiven them or at least, um, us new buyers, you know, replace dissatisfied old buyers and that kind of thing. Uh, so they, you know, have clearly come on strong and are clearly the, the second strongest competitor, although with admittedly low margins. Um, but I think the, the price cut takes some from BYD, but it also takes from everyone else, like Volkswagen, all the other car makers, ice cars, other, other things. So it's the overall, you know, doubling the TAM, going from, you know, 30% of the market to 50% of the market and getting whatever share from that. Um, so I think that's where I think come the end. So I think it will be a net positive, but it's, you know, we have still um, three to six months of proving that um, it's all okay because basically uh, the market's giving no benefit of the doubt um, to to Tesla. So it, until the the proof is there, it's, it's kind of like all those people say efficient market. Looking forward, you know, it's clearly if, if they're looking forward, they're looking forward in fear right now. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff that's um, uh, not going to happen until it's, it's proven that uh, yes, this is working. Here's the numbers. Here's the dollars. Here's the margin. So it's, it's yeah. going to be some delay before it happens yeah. and ahead, and uh, and warren buffet likes byd <laughs> you know, he, he even though he reduced his uh i think his his holdings in it he's still in it so he likes it and he's made a ton of money in it i know and i think yeah. byd was originally more focused and i think they still are more in like the commercial it, they produce a lot of buses and and things like that in addition that tesla doesn't doesn't address right go ahead Brian. Uh, one of the things in terms of like China's GDP and stuff like that, um, one is uh, they do um, cook their numbers a fair bit. You know, we also do it too in terms of like what's our real inflation number, what's real interest rates. You change the number from the 1970s and that kind of thing. And China has even more. They were, you know, always focused on growth, but um, now it's it's a little bit more focused on, you know, what's good for Xi Jinping as opposed to you know what's good for anything else. Uh, so that you know he's willing to crush Alibaba and anything else just to you know, maintain his own uh, personal power. Um, but I think that if he gets, you know, they, they've had the turn where they started stimulating um, the real estate market, they had a property bubble uh, and debt bubble problem. So they started stimulating there. Um, so it looks like, you know, based on, on evidence that they are going to try to get back to growth, lifting the, the, the COVID restriction like you're talking about, and then starting to stimulate the economy. So they, I would see more, stimulus ha happening yeah 
Those are great points. I and then producer Wef, if you don't mind bringing up the this, the ticker right now with, for Tesla, because the the price movement today has been fascinating. We were talking before we went live. There's like a total of, a, of a, almost a twenty percent move uh, total, you know, down and upwards. Uh, if you can bring up the the ticker here, the 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 conversation um, the conversation around the uh, Tesla's price cuts and and BYD and these uh, companies really becoming almost going to a price war now. I guess in my head a little bit, I'm thinking about it as a price war, but it's just really maximizing your <laughs> capability of selling into the market. Um, I fear the most, like the points that were made here for legacy auto, like a legacy auto in China, it's going to be a very interesting thing to follow and seeing how this is going to turn out to be a potential uh, uh, and an, like a somewhere we can see to be like, OK, this is what it looks like, what it's going to look like in the, in the next five, 10 years in the in the future. Right. So like if you take California, for example, and uh, how quickly and how vastly electric cars and Tesla specifically became a uh, <laughs> the most it seems like they're literally freaking everywhere. I wonder how much the Chinese market is going to be analogous to the total global market once EVs truly become affordable so that most people can buy them. And, and if it really does become the case, uh, I had Alex on on Monday, Alex Voigt, for those that follow uh, the channel, he covers mostly the German, uh, the German market. If I remember this correctly, there was there was a number he said that Volkswagen in China's sales is down like something like 30 to I forget what the number was, but they're drowned, but they're down a lot, a lot And BMW and all these brands are down a lot in in China because of players like BYD and Tesla and these other competitors coming up that are heavily invested in the next generation of auto, which is in this case is electric vehicles and some hybrids, but mostly electric. So that that is going to be a story to follow for me in 2023. And I think this Tesla price cut within the context of uh, how people view this as a, uh, as, like, as a negative for Tesla, I couldn't see it more as a po I see it as a positive for Tesla and a gigantic negative for anybody who's not BYD or a Chinese automaker that where the government's going to be able to stimulate and push forward. This is really bad news for Volkswagen, BMW, Mercedes, GM, Ford, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I'm curious to see if maybe this is the market waking up to that fact, but I doubt it. <laughs> Tesla's up 1.43% right now. It was up almost, it was down almost 10% uh, at the start of the market. Uh, we have a 10% rebound here through the day. Um, any thoughts from the panel? Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. So, um, I, I see that um, uh, the S curve adoption, technology um, adoption curve, which is a, a shaped in S. If you look at that curve closely, the you know the the really the the five ten percent point when you pass that, then you're into the the sharper faster phase. And China's up around now thirty percent in terms of their thing. So it's, it's it seems like um, it's going to be like thirty percent last year, fifty percent this year, same percent the year after. It's like we're in that really the whoosh phase where if you're on the ICE vehicle side, you had 10% of the vehicles are ICE last year. And then um, this year you dropped to 50. So you're dropping like 34% again. And then if you drop to 30%, you know, you've, you've dropped them to more less than half from your 2022 level in 2024. And in terms of like um, people who say, well, you know, production manufacturing, you know, it's like China's got, um, you know, like 30 or 40 
you know, car, electric car companies that they're, they're going on, not just BYD, but, you know, like Neo, uh, you know, WLT, a bunch of other, the, the, uh, like Geely, all, all, all the other guys. China has more uh, uh, of its own domestic um, EV players and, and China, uh, Tesla has a factory there. So they would want EV to win on, on that side because they also have more supply chain. They they're making 80% of the batteries now. You may change a bit with the Inflation Reduction Act, but they have most of the batteries. And the the major battery players, I looked at their their goals. They want to get to they they started building the factory. They put 200 billion dollars in to make two terawatt hours of, of batteries in 2025, which is enough for 50 million. It's it's not just all of China's cars, but all the other cars in the world and energy and other stuff. So we're at 600 gigawatts here. So they not only have the um, uh, support of the car makers, but their batteries, they're, they're all in on the industry. Like they, they you know, like batteries, components, the, the whole thing. So, and then that shift, if you make all your uh, cars EV and all your trucks EV, then you're cutting out, um, you know, five, six million barrels per day, seven million barrels per day of oil. China uses 13 million barrels per day of oil, imports 10, almost 10, and produces 3.5. So you make that electrification shift, you're tripling your, the equivalent of tripling your, your domestic oil production because it goes from oil to mm. coal, nuclear, whatever, they make the solar. They're also biggest on solar panels as well. So everything for their shift is they want to go all in on that and they are all in on it. So, yeah. Good Hans. Yeah, I mean, Based on what we've heard Sandy Monroe talk about that, you know, they had over 300 electric car companies at one point. And um, just based on the fact that Xi Jinping went all in on electrification a while back. And so he's kind of organizing their economy to really pursue this. And I think what we're seeing is basically the fact that the Chinese automakers like this is basically the SEC of EVs. And there's going to be an incredible amount of competition within China to come out on top. But whoever wins among the domestic Chinese automakers, like they will be able to go into the rest of the world as right now, you know, they're going to solely focus on supplying the Chinese market until they have basically completed their goal for transitioning domestically to electrification. Once they've done that, then their expansion will go global and they will be positioned, you know, relative to a Volkswagen, relative to a Ford, relative to a GM, you know, it'll just be like NFL players running over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think you mispronounced big 10, by the way, I think you mispronounced <laughs> big 10. I know you, you yeah, meant to say, yeah, big we'll 10. see. We'll see about <laughs> that. I would say history, uh, history would say otherwise. <laughs> And Fair I'm enough. not an SEC that... fan, but I live here and I know how they trounce everybody. It's not cool, bro. For those that don't get the 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 uh, the reference, the SEC is the best league in college football, but I don't believe it as a Penn State. Richard, I saw you going off mute, then we'll go to yeah, Russia. Yeah. yeah, so I'm going to get the chance to explain what MMTLP is here in answer to your volatility question. But before I, I kind of go into that, um, actually what happened in China is they had too many too many OEMs. And in 2021, I think it was 2021 or 2022, Xi kind of encouraged consolidation 
because um, he thought it was going to be a much more efficient process of, as opposed to having a thousand OEMs, you have 500. So it's interesting to me that as opposed to expanding, they kind of contracted in a way and tried to reduce cost and inefficiency. So MMTLP, and I spoke to Farzad about this uh, before beforehand. Um, so that is, this is the issue of a systemic problem that impacts Tesla, I think, more than any other company that is traded. And this is straight stock, not a business. So we're kind of looking at it uh, differently. And I'm going to give you like a very brief su fact summary, and then I'll, I'll cut to the chase what the real issues are. So there's a company, the company is called Torchlight. It, it, it gets into a merger with another company called Metamaterials. As, a, as it turns out, ironically, Metamaterials has an office next to Tesla, I think, in Canada, just, just inadvertently. Um, in the process, Torchlight, who merged with Metamaterials, which is MMAT, issues a, a dividend, a preferred share uh, in that merger process. That, mer that share is called MMTLP, which is the, the, the uh, symbol I put on there. Without consent, sometime later, uh, market makers with the consent of FINRA, let that MMTLP preferred dividend trade on the over-the-counter market. It wasn't supposed to trade, but they permitted to trade. During this process, the, the, the market makers create millions and hundreds of millions of fake synthetic shares. They short the stock, they create all these fake shares. Eventually, we get to December 8th, uh, so I bring it to, to this time forward. As of that point in time, if you owned MMTLP, you would get the dividend stock, which was in a private company, which was an energy company. And the 9th and 12th were supposed to be for the shorts to cover their positions. Now, in this case, there were hundreds of millions of fake shorts, and there was a specific date by which they had to cover and close their positions. So everybody believed that there'd be a short squeeze because there weren't enough shorts to cover and you could only cover, you couldn't, you couldn't sell in effect. So what happens on the 8th? FINRA steps in, they issue a U3 extraordinary circumstance halt after the stock had moved from $8.25 at the start of the day to $2.89 at the end of the day. They don't permit the trading. They don't, they don't cause the shorts to cover. And as of today, we are January 6th, the stock is still in limbo because nobody knows what to do. They don't know how to cover. And the ultimate problem is, and this is the problem systemically, and that's why Tesla moves 20% in a day. Maybe today there's short covering. When, we, when they hit 101, maybe the shorts thought, wow, it's a cheap price, let's cover. And they got out, and maybe that's one of the reasons why we have a 20% move. But the problem is, these are fake shorts. And once there's a, a tactic by which they can move these shorts outside the United States, once they're moved outside the United States, when, when the uh, regulators look at the short percentages, they don't count those shares. So let's say Tesla is really 10% short, it might show 5%. And when it shows 5%, there are algorithms that kick in to reshort it. And that process continues to happen. So, and this is artificial. 
And everybody who's on margin might be in a margin position. They get margined out. And beyond that, what happens is until the shorts cover actually close their positions, they don't have a gain. So they don't pay taxes on it and they're laundering money. So, and how do we know that? How do we know that the shorts are doing better than other hedge funds that are doing a more standard way of business? Because yesterday, I think it was yesterday, Citadel came out with their earnings. Whereas in 2022, all hedge funds trading long and short had an average gain of minus 13%. Citadel, who is the king of the shorts in 2022, their fund was up approximately 39%. That's no accident. And all retail shareholders are getting screwed in the process. So MMTLP happens to be a ongoing uh, example of this, but Tesla's price, every time we see it go down like 10% in a day, that's not by accident. Those are algorithms kicking in and that's shorting of illegal shares. Very difficult to prove, but there's a movement out there that is interested in getting those uh, market makers and the regulators to take notice and to act. So I would encourage everybody, everyone who owns Tesla stock to take a look at MMTLP just to get an understanding of the process and then become familiar with the synthetic shorting process and how it impacts Tesla. And I really think that we as a group, as Tesla shareholders and all retail shareholders can make a, can really um, influence regulators, Congress, et cetera, to stop this practice, which is harming all of us. So let me just recap here. And thank you so much for going through that. I feel like we're just getting grassroots movements all the time out of this channel, which I love. Let me, so let me try to recap it in, in, uh, in a way that maybe sticks better to my brain. So there's an example in MMTLP that uh, there's some sort of shadiness going on with um, with shorting, synthetic shorts, basically a lot of like super shady activity where uh, there are people that are using this shady activity to force a stock to come down in a in an artificial way, in a, which allows them to make a ton of money and this activity is not really uh, available for the regular public to see because they have ways to hide it, right? And so MMTLP is an example of this being a kind of like a like like an example of of it going to the extreme where now it's halted and people are like, what the hell is going on? I don't know how to cover my short, but th there could be some evidence hard to prove. Like you said, just FYI, Richard ha is, is, a, is a lawyer and he has a law background and a lot of the stuff he does is, you know, he knows how to look at stuff, just an FYI. So uh, there might be reason to believe that the the recent price moves with Tesla and say the last few weeks, the last few months, where there are these very aggressive move downwards, uh, perhaps the market you know was was saying, hey, let's sell some shares, but uh, there could be an additional pressure or more movements that are caused by this synthetic type of shorting, which could put artificial downward pressure and people are able to profit out of that uh, artificial uh, downward pressure. Did I sort of recap that correctly, Richard? Yeah, it, not only do they profit, but they don't pay taxes on it because they don't close their positions and they're in essence laundering money offshore.
because until they close their positions, they don't have a gain. And so they, they can just keep the positions open. And a lot of times the shorts are shorting companies that are in precarious financial position. And if the company goes out of business or files bankruptcy, they in effect don't ever close their positions and they may not ever declare the profits they had. So it's a, it's a huge issue because think about it, all the tax revenue that we don't get into the coffers that should go in, that in, increase the amount that we have to borrow, that increase the interest costs, that increase inflation. It's, it's really a, I, I mean, I, I think it's a huge issue that gets buried because the, the insiders profit. Mm. Hans or Brian, any, any sort of like reaction thoughts around what Richard just said? I have a lot, but I want to make sure I open it up to the panel too. If you guys want to add anything, go ahead, Brian. Um, so I think that, um, Tesla's in, in the share price is in a um, clearly vulnerable position, um, you know, for the next um, three, six months kind of thing, just because you, in order to fight anything like this, but like one, Tesla has cash, $20 billion in cash, even with lower margins, still still making money. Uh, even if they went to, to zero, like I think uh, farther you, you looked at, at that, where they went to, to zero margin just to grab share and stuff like that, then they're fine and they come out. They need to, um, you know, execute on something really huge in order to, to break the narrative. Like basically when, you know, you know, it's like those, those um, um, bear traps and other things like that, where you start something really huge happens and Tesla has huge things that can happen, you know, energy becoming profitable, FSD uh, coming off beta and, and then uh, offering that a bunch. So there's several things that can happen, but it ha I don't think it can be just, um, ordinary execution on cars and, and production there because, uh, well, it can be that, but it, that would take nine to 12 months to, to get to a, a big enough story. If they come in, you know, at 500,000 cars with 20% with plus margins in Q1, that could be revealed in April. So that would take, you know, four months to get there, right? Um, so there are things that can happen uh, to defend it, but right now, because of the, um, they're able to, to generate the story that there are some real concerns around China's demand. There are real concerns about China's economy. There are concerns about the global economy recession. So those within that environment, what um, Richard was talking about is something where they can make that work. But Tesla will, the company will ride through, but you have to be able to um, withstand this uh, share price manipulation until um, the, the, Tesla can totally change the story. Tesla can, Tesla can do that, but it's like, um, it, it could be, you know, this unknown bottom level because they can just force the share prices down. And the whole valuation of the company is only based on the last share it's traded. So it's the kind of thing where you can have these wild swings and, and manipulation. When we get a bit more mature with trucking and energy and all those other things and, and the subscription revenue, then that this kind of um, um, effort, you become more immune to it. Although I think that there'll still be these huge swings because basically it's like you go up 10 times because mile three, mile Y become profitable, China has, has production, but then you drop down three next four X because there's doubt about the China story. So it's, it, and also uh, doubt about the margin story. So they're basically taking away some of that. And as so I was saying, it, it won't come back. You know, so that's, you know, these huge swings and, and because 
um, Tesla is so exponential in what it does, you can have, you know, even if it's growing, 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 it could go, you know, instead of one, uh, two steps forward, one step back, it could be 10 steps forward, you know, 10x up, you know, 5x, 10x down, 100x up. It, it's like these insane swings for something so huge and so transformational. Um, but yeah, that's my Yeah, reaction. so... Essentially, the MMTLP situation is just adding fuel to a fire that's that's going downwards. And that's what's could be causing a lot of this craziness with, you know, <laughs> this. I, I think what's interesting to watch, too, is that Tesla, at least in the last uh, um, nine months, it is tracking somewhat with um, like, you know, like some of the growth stocks. It is down 70 percent. It is down 75 percent. What's very interesting, though, is that its fundamentals are just so much more different. And uh, these ten percent swings that are just so wild. It, this it does bring up a lot of questions. And thank you, Richard, for doing the diligence to go on and do a lot of this work um, uh, to kind of try to figure out what the hell is going on. Because it's, I mean, this EV tax credit that I've been covering on this channel for the last uh, week or so. Like, there's just so much shady stuff everywhere. And Tesla seems to be a a, a, a freaking pinata for a lot of these. So it's like if you follow the Tesla story, you can kind of be exposed to a bunch of shady shit. And it's like, okay, so if this is going on and that's going on, why wouldn't the thing you just described be going on? You know, like if people have enough power and money, some crazy stuff happens. And that's what I'm learning as I'm getting older. It's like power corrupts absolutely, as it said. So um, Hans, what, uh, sorry, Richard, and then Hans, if you have any thoughts. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Hans. I stepped, I stepped on you. I'll, I'll let Hans go and I'll, I'll go. Uh-oh. Is he going to find his mute button? There yeah, the only thing that I was going to add earlier is, you know, I, I don't, Part of me wonders how much of this is just people who are very sophisticated, who have been in the public markets for a long time, increasing their level of sophistication. But part of it feels like um, there have been a lot of people who've had a playground with how to maximize a grift in crypto, and they're bringing those playbooks to other arenas. Mm. Interesting. Go ahead, Richard. So what I was going to say is, upon uh, if you look, if you look at hedge funds and you look at their leadership teams and then you look at their general counsel you'll often find that they're either from finra sec or whatever and so there is an incestuous incestuous kind of uh, relationship amongst all these companies which which in effect they protect each other and, and insulate them which makes it hard you have to really really press to kind of move things yeah Maybe maybe this is a good segue into the one um, chart that uh, Tesla Economist posted uh, uh, a, a couple of days ago. Um, if you want to bring that up, uh, producer wife, it's the last link that I sent you on Discord, um, where you know we're talking about Tesla stock. We're talking about the uh, sort of a lot of the craziness that's happening around the price by the way tesla economist um shout out to lee lee has been on the channel before but he in the tesla community has been uh subject to a, a little bit of controversy uh i don't want i don't want to necessarily uh <laughs> attack the individual or question the individual's intention but i, I would like to kind of th throw around the ideas and discuss the ideas um so this is an example and somebody smarter than me helped me uh sort of uh describe this but how how the market clearing price is affected when demand is dropping and supply is increasing then there is like a bunch of lines uh on a graph uh hans are you are you able to sort of explain this for us a little bit better i think you're the one who brought this up yeah i mean this is this is basic econ 101 stuff for anyone who's had econ 101 um the you've got a demand line which is the line that moves from the upper left 
towards the bottom right. And then you've got a supply line, which is the line that moves from the bottom left to the upper right. And so as your demand, like increases in demand would be that demand line moving from the left to the right, but decreases in demand are moving that line from the right to the left. And so you see that D1, D2. So that is showing that we've got demand in a recession that's coming down. And so you move that line over to the left. And then if you're increasing your supply, it moves to the right. If you're decreasing your supply, it moves to the left. And so when we were in the pandemic, we had the supply line dramatically shift to the left. And then because especially gas prices were so high, at least for electric vehicles, we had the demand line shift towards the right. And so that's when the the market clearing price is the intersection of those two lines. And so you can see like the D1 and S1 line will say that that's the, the demand at the prices that we had in, you know, over the last two years where the entire auto industry was just printing, you know, they were able to sell prices or cars at prices that were just ridiculous compared to previously. Um, and that's because the, the demand line had moved to the right and the supply line had moved to the left. And so you've just got a, a lot more dollars chasing a lot fewer goods, which creates inflated prices. And so, that's the intersection of S1 and D1 with the top then, intersection, right? Exactly. So then now that we're, we've worked through all the supply chain issues, um, we've got a lot more supply. And then from Tesla's perspective specifically, they've been growing as a company, they're ramping production. So they had a somewhat artificially suppressed supply due to part shortages, but not nearly as much as anyone else. Theirs was mostly, they got, their growth got slowed down a little bit, but they've hit, okay, now we've got all the parts that we need and we're ramping up our gigafactories. And so they're moving their supply line significantly to the right. And then if there's a recession, now the demand line is moving back to the left because it doesn't matter if it's a gas car or an electric car, like I just don't have money to buy cars. That means overall demand is lower. And so you can just see that it's not the the gap between the intersection between S1 and D1 and the intersection between S2 and D2 is very large. And it looks like it's, you know, basically twice as much of a price cut to create a market clearing price as you would normally think that it would take in order to unlock that demand. But then the other thing that, you know, Brian was alluding to earlier is that there's a huge amount of price elasticity of demand too. And, you know, as you, as you decrease in price, you unlock portions of the market that previously were not unlocked. Um, and so I would say that this graph is maybe a little bit oversimplistic when you look at something like the auto market that is just highly price elastic. And you can see that, you know, the, the number of units that a car that sells for $25,000 can sell is like drastically different than a number, than the number of units that you could sell at $35,000. Um, yeah. And so you do have to kind of factor that in here, but I just think this is an interesting thing for us to think about as we watch prices come down and we can see, Hey, you know, what is the demand at different price levels? And, um, yeah. The one thing that I would also say just to 
remember is, you know, don't forget about the things that Joe Justice shared about Tesla's ability to innovate on the manufacturing front and drastically reduce cost of goods sold. So they have two major tailwinds going for them with respect to margins going into 2022 and going into 2023 that um, are, these are the positive, you know, everyone knows what the negative things are with reduction to margins, but here's the two positive things. We still have huge operating leverage and we still are creating much more, um, yeah, we're reducing cost of goods sold by improving the manufacturing process and the engineering in the cars on a daily basis. If you can create three changes to a model every day, you are going to drive the cost out of your vehicles. And if you're legacy auto and you're not going to change the way that you produce that car for the next seven years and your cost of goods sold is too high, you're really screwed because you don't have levers that you can pull to try to reduce your cost of goods sold. Whereas Tesla can continue to, you know, they're reducing it daily, every single day, not every single month, not every single year, not every single seven year budget cycle every day. So anyways, yeah. thank you for the explanation. Then I'll throw it over here to, uh, to Richard and Brian. But so, so the way I think about this graph is, so the big question, the big question is electric are electric vehicles going to be impacted by the shift of d1 to d2 right so globally are electric vehicles going to be less wanted in a recession is it going to shift from d1 to d2 and then the the s line is a question of battery ramp and a question of um, lowering costs in the supply chain and working with suppliers to increase their ramp so it, so the way i think about this is if my hypothesis is correct, which I'm trying to test every single day, that the demand for electric vehicles, even in a recession, is unchanged because that's just the, where we're going next. And the number of people that are going to buy a car will buy the next generation of car versus the previous generation. In my head, it's like, OK, the D1 line remains. But it just becomes a question of increasing supply and increasing how many cars you can put out in the market. If you can do that then S1 goes to S2, and then the price will naturally fall down because you're able to ship more and more cars into that lower band of the demand line, which is like your mass market vehicle or your $33,000 car uh, Model 3. So th that's the big question. So like the D1 to D2 line is the big debate. <laughs> it's the big debate that we're having, I think, uh, across every single community as we go into this uh, supposed recession. Will D1 to D2 impact Tesla and electric vehicle makers? And S1 to S2 will happen anyway because that's where we're going. We're going to that next generation of EV. So the supply is going to increase. Um, Richard and then Brian, go ahead. Or oh, Brian, okay. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't read uh, Cindy's message. <clears throat> okay, so um, I, I would say that um, oh, um, you know the recession and, and this um, the um, the used car potential uh, collapse in prices is something that um, um, could impact um, um, uh, Tesla and stuff like that. It, depending upon how bad the used car uh, collapse is, it's already come back about twenty percent puts uh, certain people who bought them on debt uh, underwater. And so they're buying um, um, new cars and getting new loans and then they could walk on the old loans and that could create this 
cycle where, where the used cars go down. So I'm less, uh, it's not just the, the new car situation. And I think that for new cars, the share of EVs clearly goes up because you know gas prices are high and you have that $5,000 a month, a year thing to, to keep your thing fueled up and, and in repair if you have an ICE car. Um, but the, the used car situation where um, you could you know, pick up the cheap $10,000, $5,000 used car, just like you have the cheap EVs in China. In the US, you have the cheap uh, used car. That could have um, somewhat of an impact on overall demand. But I think it's, it's squeezing down from like, I don't know, 14 million cars per year in the US down to maybe 10. But if the, the US is, is a different animal from the new cars, used cars, because two thirds are these, you know, pickup trucks and, and SUVs and more expensive vehicles. So the um, um, so I, I think that if you're going to have this pressure on price, then you would go towards um, a, you know, a $38,000, $35,000 uh, But with the Inflation Reduction Act, you're getting $7,500 off, right? So, so if it was $3,750, it's $30,000 to you. So I think um, US demand, no concerns. Um, um, Europe again, it, it could have certain certain issues, and China could have certain issues. Um, but I think that it's EV will still hold, and um, Tesla shifting down into that thirty k range, I think, should be sufficient to um, clear out all the all the vehicles for sure. Richard, go ahead. Yeah. So as I was roaring before we started, I'm going to go back and roar a little bit, and this is not an attack on Lee. But I was kind of, I'm appalled by how he's handling himself at this point in time. And I'll just give you a, an example. And I'll just be straight, straight up front. So I, all my shares I bought in Tesla were 21, 22. So do you think that was a good time to buy Tesla shares? Probably not. And I'm, but I continue to buy shares. So I'm probably upside down 75%. Okay. Um, and not with insignificant money. So it's not like five bucks. So it's not insignificant. But my feeling long term about Tesla has not changed one iota. I, in my mind, I was 2033 all the way. That was when I could hold to if it if I could get out earlier, if it if, if the circumstances presented themselves, if and the stock was high enough, fine. But I could stay for a minimum of 2033. So if the stock, I'm gonna look at the stock price. If the stock is at 111.67 right now. I'm not going to make a decision about selling a stock that I'm holding until 2033. It's absurd. And um, I think the, and what he's doing is destructive to the stock price. We're not talking business here. The business is fine. We're talking stock price and it's all psychological. I mean, like when the uh, stock's tanking, it's because everybody has that feeling. It may not have anything to, to do with the business. And some guy who's a, uh, who's long and purporting to be a Tesla bull, who when his numbers turn out to be inaccurate, bails and then turns on the company, I find that absurd and destructive. And that's what hurts the stock price. And so his, his static chart may be accurate, but it's a static chart. It's a day in a life. It's a basically a financial, you know, it's a balance sheet. It tells you what it is today, but we don't know what, going on in China. We don't know what COVID, what demands COVID has placed or not. 
and how that will change in the future. So the fact that Lee comes out with this nonsense pisses me off. And I am purely anti-Lee and I unsubscribe. Just to let you know. And, I, and I, he said, seems like a nice guy. So it has nothing to do with personally. Again, seems like a very nice guy. But in terms of how he conducted himself professionally, I found it um, disqualifying. Let me let me uh, be uh, let me be on the opposite side. What what do you think about maybe he's trying to uh, communicate uh, to his audience that there are big risks coming ahead and that folks shouldn't be ignoring the the worst case scenario? How do you think about that? I think he there's too much desperation that comes out of his communication. He screwed himself, I think, with options or something, and it comes out that he's he's in a he stuck himself in a bad position. And he's acting out of desperation and that's how it comes across to me so whether he's trying to communicate useful information i don't think it's coming from the right place mm -hmm. Go ahead, so um yeah so i guess the tweets were that he lost 10 million dollars for his dad he probably lost a, a lot of money for himself um with however he did it so given what um richard talked about in terms of like how things are being manipulated yeah whatever you're doing you have to be able to ride out an absurdly low price for the next three, six, maybe in a year, who knows. Um, so, but the, the company is fine because it has $20 billion in cash, you know, executing all, all of the things we're talking about. But um, because of how the, the stock market, the Fed and, and things are, that things could be really stupid, you know, disconnected from the share price from, from the company can be disconnected for, you know, a year. So you have to be able to stay solvent through that. That's the whole thing of like the, the market could be irrational longer these days solvent, and the market can stay corrupt, you know, longer. So it's the kind of thing where, you know, you have to be able to last until that thing. If it means, you know, whatever, uh, however you, you handle that is, is what you need to do. Go ahead, Hans. Yeah, I mean, I would say from inside the bubble, it definitely appears like Lee is on tilt. Um, the, yeah, the mostly emotional. And he's going through a process of basically re-questioning all of the things that he had assumed. Um, I'm not upset at him at all for being in that place or even for sharing that on Twitter Um because I definitely respect people who have the intellectual honesty to go back and question their assumptions and to share that process publicly because it does piss off a lot of people and it takes some courage to do that. Now, I don't necessarily think in this case that he's doing that from a place of courage. It does seem like it's mostly emotional. So I think I would agree there. Um, but I, you know, personally, I don't want to discourage people from being public in their thought processes because I look at it as a learning opportunity to see, you know, what are the different situations people can find themselves in? How do they navigate those situations? And, you know, I like to see what he's doing so I can learn maybe how I would want to handle that in that situation or shouldn't handle that in that situation, you know, both positive and negative examples. Um, and yeah, being transparent about that in public invites a lot of criticism and I either way it doesn't bother me uh, you know I enjoy I enjoy in observing people so you know in in the Good. whole spectrum of things go Richard 
I, the reason it bothers me is he's not transparent. He'd be transparent if he came on and said, listen, I lost my ass. I lost my father's money. So before you listen to this I mean, advice. He did say that. Well, I didn't hear that. Yeah, he, he said okay. that on Twitter. And he's yeah. said, yeah, made some specific. He's like, I'm probably emotional right now because I just lost a bunch of money and I had to close out a position for my dad's retirement that was really significant. Um, and so, you know, and that's part of the, you know, the Twitter algorithm. Maybe the tweets that it's showing you from his account are only the ones that are really getting a lot of pushback on them. And it's not the, uh, not the other ones. Yeah. I only followed him on, on YouTube and I didn't, I missed that. And then I stopped following him. So maybe, maybe I missed the disclosure but I yeah, that was that, all on Twitter. Okay, I, I, but and I, if he said it, then I, I'll, then he, then that's great, and he should make clear that any uh, advice he's giving at this point in time is based on that perspective. Um, but anyway, it does affect the stock price, and it, it clearly is reflective of how he's performed, and that may influence his judgment as to how he interprets the stock or interprets the business. Yeah, I, I think I think the the sort of the thing that's and, and what's funny is that this conversation right now is such a such a bubble discussion, right? It's like anybody that's not part of the Tesla community, they're like, who the hell is this Lee guy? <laughs> right? What are you guys talking about? Uh, so this is only like the, the smallest of the smallest part of the bubble really understands this. Yeah, I think I think um, I want to commend Lee for his courage to be upfront about that uh, sort of toll that he's had. Like that's that's something. How many people will come out and say I I lost this much money for my dad? Like that's freaking crazy. That's a, that's a very personal bit of information that uh, I don't think I think ninety nine point nine percent of the population would be like I will never share that publicly. But he he was he was willing to do that, which I which I commend him for that. Um, now, do I feel that? the sudden tone shift is abrupt and perhaps not rooted in some of the same fundamental uh thinking that he had for the long term of the company i find that odd you know i'm like okay so you were you know like i had him on the channel and he set us all straight on the next 10 years of the tesla and i'm like okay yeah that makes perfect sense you nailed it and then all of a sudden he's like but everything's going to collapse <laughs> i'm like okay what's going on right so it's it's odd but i think it's contextualizing what he's saying is is important and maybe lee that this is maybe uh, if you listen to this for whatever reason perhaps a point of feedback is like perhaps try to con uh, contextualize that a little bit better on all your platforms because you know for example for, for Richard Richard's example here if he's just following you on YouTube and he's only catching some of what you're saying it can it could hurt your ability to communicate clearly and this is what's so difficult about having a platform is like at any point a new person's going to be listening to something that they never had you know but they don't have the context of the previous stuff you've said and so they're going into it with a completely different mindset like yo what the hell just happened right although in his head he's probably like well I already laid out all the fundamentals of how I'm thinking about this, people will understand. But clearly, that's not the case unless you're very careful in how you communicate. Um, so, but it's just, I think ultimately, the lessons that are being learned in the last six to 12 months as a Tesla investor cannot be ignored. We have so many lessons to learn from in these last six to 12 months that are going to be just so giant in our individual ability to think about these types of crazy turns and twists that we uh, uh, face as investors for the next bear market. 
or for the next perceived top in the market or for or, you know trying to identify signals that say hey you're probably approaching some place that is going to go down like crazy right Th these are my biggest takeaways and i think ultimately net net what lee is doing i think is positive because of that transparency of coming forward and maybe being very open about his emotional state uh do i disagree with him of course but do i find it uh not valuable no i actually do find it valuable because like han said it like allows me to like put that frame of reference in mind and be like okay maybe you know i like lee a lot but maybe i shouldn't be like lee right now <laughs> all, with all due respect right um yeah so that's that's my two cents there but any other thoughts here on the topic from anybody or you know there is an outside chance that maybe we should you know and so that's the value in having people who will say those Fair. things is that you know i i think i'm in the bubble i think that more than likely you know i don't believe that the ev trend is broken and that's basically what you have to believe in order to be shaken on the long-term thesis um and so no I, i'm not going to agree on something like that but i need people to say things and especially the the fact that it's coming from lee and not gordon johnson people will take it a little bit more seriously within the community and they honestly should now they may walk away and say no like i'm going to address each of the points that he makes on a point by point basis and i can say i don't agree with you here on this point and this is exactly why if you can't do that um you may actually need to reconsider your position in the stock because you don't have a personal fundamental understanding of the business and whether or not you should or should not be invested at this point based on your risks and you know and also with how much money you know is it with money that you can absolutely afford to lose and you absolutely do not need to touch for five to ten years or is it with money that uh if you lose that money you actually can't make house payments you know those are two different situations and so anyways, yeah, having having those challenges to your thesis are very important. Um, you know, there, there's no serious investors who are going to perform well over the long term who don't regularly battle test their ideas. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that we're trying to do in this forum. And I would say various parts of the tesla community are better and or worse at that yeah well said Go ahead, yeah i was gonna say so i disagree with hans about 48 percent um i think the information is really important but i think you have to get it from a neutral source because uh, i just don't trust it from a biased source just like i don't trust and don't use don't don't consider if i hear numbers from warren warren r also a former attorney tesla bull I consider that zero, zero percent, because he's too slanted. And I and I'm a lawyer. So I look at everybody and see what their bias is, and I factor that in. And I don't give the same credibility to information based upon or from people that I perceive a bias. So I don't think it's wise to just accept information without digging deeper to understand the point of view that person is coming from. And you can find the information. It's just a matter you have to hunt a little more. So so that was the forty-eight percent I disagreed with Hans on. I think you just uh, you just uh, got yourself a, an attack video, bro. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shout out Warren. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts around this topic, uh, Brian, Hans, Richard? Um, no, good. 
uh yeah it's uh and again i want to i want to close this topic off by saying that um i've had lee on the channel lee you're welcome to come back as well if you if you really want to like have a place where maybe uh maybe go more in depth about the way you think or do it on your channel i encourage you to do it on your channel just take maybe like 30 minutes to an hour and sort of level set your your mindset because you do have a following that really listens to you and uh, you bring a lot of valuable insight and you have every right to you know feel or think or 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 you know communicate the way, the way that you want and that's why you have a platform so, and such a good one at that um but i would encourage you to maybe take a little bit of time and see if you can uh uh perhaps level set the the expectations for folks because uh, i think i am noticing some confusion and um yeah just just uh feedback i would if, love if to see him do it, like a ones. bull bear debate with somebody on you know whether mm -hmm. it's here or on his channel you know someone yeah. who is a thoughtful and um sense you know, not sensitive um but I mean, just tactful like i don't want it to turn into a slugfest but I'd like someone who can intellectually challenge him point by point on his, like, I'd love to see a Matt Smith Lee Ooh. back and forth on, on the thesis. I think that would be great. I like that. Something like that. Actually, yeah, Matt's so, coming on the channel on Wednesday. So Lee, if you're listening to this, let me know. I'll hit you up in yeah. DMs too. And we can make or, it. Into the yeah, Warren, that would, you know, that would totally be the same exact type of episode. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to come on now that Richard has freaking. <laughs> Uh, just, just, just to be clear, I love Lee. I think he's a great guy, and uh, nobody should, you know, uh, personally go after him or whatever. That's not what I was. That wasn't intended yeah. by my message. He's yeah. wonderful. Wonderful. Um, okay, let's do. Uh, let's do maybe another five minutes. Uh, maybe any any last topic we want to hit, and then we'll do some Q and A. Uh, what's What's one thing you guys want to cover before we hit Q and A here for the last five minutes or so? Is there anything, or, or we can do an extended Q and A? What do you guys think? Maybe extended Q and A. What do you guys think about extended Q&A? Yeah? Nice. I mean, the only other thing that I would say we could bring up if we wanted to talk on it, does anyone have a specific sure. thing that they wanted to talk about for the investor day that's coming up in March? I know that's another big piece of news that dropped this week that we haven't discussed. I have some delivery thoughts, date. but I'll let you guys go for it. Yeah, Yeah, the delivery date for Cybertruck. I want them to tell us on March 1 that Cybertruck's first deliveries are going to be September 1. Something like that. Hey, I wanted to say March one delivery date is March one. Here, have some cyber trucks. <laughs> Good luck. With I, that. I, I like to get uh, more insight into the um, the mega pack, the mega pack ramps, the um, and the some insight into how long it takes to install them. Like you know, once you take it out of the the, the factory, what's the rough timeline issues around that? It's the you know details that that's kind of important to understand how that would be and how that. You know, if they're going to make um, mega charging stations, how they would roll out, you know, like how much of their own mega pack capacity they're going to be taking off, you know, over the next uh, few years, how, how they view that. And then also the semi truck ramp, how much do they do themselves and, and how much are they um, doing? And, and again, more detail that ramp, because I think that uh, is potentially um, in, the, in a few years, um, both the semi trucks and also the impact on Cybertruck because you can make a a level four uh, vehicle from a Cybertruck if you were to uh, so currently the Cybertruck weighs um, about six thousand pounds and they said it could hold thirty five hundred pounds on top of it nine thousand five hundred if you increase that total by six thousand up to like fifteen thousand pounds then you're a class four vehicle 
Um, so uh, it was not how much you tow, it's how much sits on top plus your vehicle weight. So um, that's like a Ford F450, Ford, uh, you know, because Ford has F150 up to 650, which is, and the, the number is basically like the class of the vehicle. You know, a 350 class three vehicle, 450 class four vehicle, a very uh, uh, innovative uh, naming system that they have there. So <clears throat> a class four Cybertruck, the, the huge thing for that is that um, currently um, California gives uh, up to $132,000 per class eight vehicle. And you can get sixty to eighty thousand dollars for a class four. New York is giving one hundred eighty-five thousand dollars for uh, class eight vehicles and one hundred thousand dollars for class four vehicles. So there's and there's other places, Canada, Europe, you know, all giving these kind of like for the working truck segment. So that could, um, you know, totally address that. And also knowing for the cyber truck under load. <clears throat> What do the range do? Because I looked at the videos on that for um, Rivian and for F-150, the diesel, as well as the Lightning. And basically the F-150 uh, gas vehicle goes from a 23 gallon tank, uh, sorry, yeah, a 23 gallon tank with 20 miles per gallon, 460 miles, and then drops down to nine miles per gallon, 207. So that's the, your million, up to million selling vehicle globally you know, had that kind of drop to 207 under load. So if, um, and currently the, the electric vehicles go from like 300, 400 miles uh, of range and then drop down to 100, 120, 140 miles of range. The, the Lightning does the worst on that. And then uh, Model X and, and the um, uh, Rivian do, do better. So if Cybertruck with semi-tech drops down to only um, 250 miles of range from 500 or something like that, or from 400 down to 200, then you're pretty much beating or as good as an F-150 gas vehicle. So then, you know, so that, uh, um, how much range under load you have is a huge factor in how much you blow out the, the work vehicle market. And I think that the reason I'm very hopeful about that is because the semi, if you don't have load on the semi, you're dropping from, you know, 40 tons with everything, you know, vehicle, trailer and whatever, 40 tons. And then if you're empty, you're down to about like um, seven tons, right? So that at that seven ton thing, you're, you're not going thousand miles with that thing, right? So it seems like they're dropping less than half down to 560, 530, right? So if you go from 500 miles on a Cybertruck down to 250, you're 20% you better, you, you win, right? So that's, you know, if that happens, then it's, you know, one, all the, the work guys, you know, contractors rolling around in F-150s, uh, regular work trucks will say that works under load. And then, and then they, they get, you know, 68%, you'll have to re-rate and you have to say, holy crap, you know, the $2 trillion truck market, $1 trillion for the semi-truck, $1 trillion for, for, for the smaller trucks, $2 trillion market, when you can totally address that. And then I think they have a 10-year lead on that. So I, I, that would be in terms of like the 2030 bear, uh, bull case is, you know, 2028 or 20, you know, that's, that's like how big and how fast. So how they can do it. And then how many can they make? If they could tell us, well, yeah, we can make 500,000 or something like that. And then we're going to start a new factory. Gonna, yeah, that would also be huge. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. 
I would say this tying into that a little bit and then going to the demand domestically here in the United States, that if the numbers that Hertz are putting up are something that can scale across other types of commercial fleet operators, that commercial demand alone should be an incredible tailwind for EV sales here in the United States. Um, yeah. So anyway, that was just the one one small point that I was going to add. And I was thinking about it because that's going to be both Model 3, Model Y, but also incredibly Cybertruck as Cybertruck begins to ramp deliveries as well. So what do we think that they are going like? What are the predictions for what the investor day will have for us? What are they going to talk about? What are they not going to talk about? Yeah. So the the so on the verbiage and the producer wife, if you can bring up the uh, one of the very first ones I sent you a couple of days ago for the uh, investor day in Discord, if you can pull it up and find it, um, the next few gigafactories are going to be outlined. I think. I think we're going to get at least an announcement of one, if not before then. I think uh, buyback plan will be announced. Because they're, they're talking about some sort of like strategy for the capital. Thank you very much. Uh, we plan to host Tesla's 2023 Investor Day on March 1st, 2023. The event will be live streamed from our Gigafactory, Texas, with the option for some of our institutional and retail investors to attend in person. Our investors will be able to see our most advanced production line. So this to me sounds like Model Y, uh, for sure. Single piece casting with structural battery pack, maybe Cybertruck. You know, with the with the Hydra and all that stuff in there, so that could be freaking fun. Uh, Long term expansion plans to me sounds like uh, some sort of combination of Gigafactories and maybe Master Plan Part Three. That could be a potential in there. Generation Three platform to me, I don't know how that doesn't scream Robo Taxi slash Compact Car. Like I just don't know how that that's not the case. So I would love to hear any pushback on that if there's any. And capital allocation uh, to me sounds like buyback. And, you know, what's our strategy with the ridiculous amount of cash we're going to generate this year, which I think in part might allude to the fact that, hey, even in whatever scenario we're going into, Tesla is going to generate cash, which I think bodes well for uh, the long term prospects of the uh, company and perhaps of the stock as well. What do you guys think? Those things sound about right, um, but uh, I'm not sure you would reveal like... um other stuff, but you know, like if they could give details on Cybertruck and energy, you know, those would be uh, good to know. Yeah. So on the on the Generation Three platform, do you think that they will reveal specifics that it will actually be like a product reveal, or will that be separately and they'll just kind of talk in a loose way about general plans, but not necessarily reveal a model? Yeah, Yashor and I talked about this yesterday. Uh, it's kind of like, so I think I think we both agreed yesterday that that generation three platform will be a China only first. So it will be uh, released in China first, maybe for the net, for the first six months to twelve months will be only available in that in that country because I think there there is that is the obvious next step for Tesla to go into in that market, especially with the Shanghai cranking out over a million units per year of three and Y. That there and now that they've you know cut the price to try and enter that sort of sub segment market, that the obvious thing is to release that. So maybe, maybe it's uh, preparation for that. That says, hey, you know, 
the Chinese market's going to get the scar here in the next, I don't know, nine months or 12 months potentially. Um, but yeah, it, they have to be careful with the Osborne effect though, right? Because that's, that's another thing we're throwing around. It's like if you announce too early, then 3 and Y get hammered in China. People might just wait to buy that that cheaper vehicle unless they're like, hey, guess what? Because think about it. The Model 3 rear-wheel drive in China is $33,000 equivalent. And Tesla's been talking about cutting the cost in half of this next thing. So is this a compact car for under 20000 in China, potentially? I don't, I don't necessarily know. I don't think you have to really um, maybe wait to announce it if it's really going to be that much cheaper because it's just a completely different class of vehicle. So if you could really go that low on, on the market segment and enter with something below 20,000 equivalent, I don't, think, I don't think your Model 3 and Y will be impacted at all. Uh, it would be the your Volkswagen Golfs and your sort of like uh, uh, Renault Zoe's and all these like type vehicles, your Mercedes A-Class, a these like smaller BYD cars seals. that are going to get. BYD Seals. These are the cars that are gonna start getting hammered hard. Uh, and it's just about timeline. Um, yeah, go ahead. So, so, uh, um, so they have also the Highland, the the Model Three Highland. So they're already dropped thirty three thousand without doing Highland. So Highland is, is they're they're adjusting, you know, front recastings. Maybe it, it could be something. The question is, can they shift the lines to do that? Like if there's soft demand, you, it, it could go down for just a month. But the, the 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 main concern is that you know Model X and and S had that long uh, ramp up period for, for, for going over this. So what lesson they learned for that and how fast could they do the switch? Because clearly if you would take out with modest changes for Tesla, um, a, you know, take out another three, $5,000 out of the vehicle so that you can drop down to the $25,000 vehicle in China with a, with the Highland, right? Um, then, uh, or, or 26000 $27,000, then yeah, it, it definitely seems like you would go to twenty thousand dollars or less for the model, um, uh, the, the Gen model three, combat. whatever. Yeah, Model yeah. C. Yeah. Um, is there any chance that they were making those, maybe at least a step in that direction, if not going full front and rear castings for Model Three in Shanghai? Like, is that part of the downtime in December? That would be a surprise, I think, to many, because I think the the some of the leaked documents said. Q3 of 2023 or Q4 of 2023, um, that would be a shocker because then because then that implies that the price drop in China for Model Three, the margin implications are probably uh, net zero because because that that the Model Three is the least efficient built mass market car that Tesla has because it has that doesn't have you know all the mistakes they made <laughs> they put it in the Model Three and all the great things they built to put it into the Model Y so the Model Three has the largest room for upside um go ahead Richard I, I think yeah and from a practical standpoint I think uh, there were COVID shutdowns at the factory and they weren't operating and I saw yesterday some video of the trucks lined up uh in a queue at Shanghai and it appeared that was the first day they were back so I think activity was light during those two or three weeks. So I don't think they were doing anything of a substantive, significant nature there. Yeah. But I, again, it's like the this is the true differentiator between a Tesla and a competitor. It's like, yeah, they might drop prices, but they're going to make it up in the backside because they're lunatics 
There are a bunch of engineers who stop at nothing to make the car as efficient and as uh, low cost as humanly possible, which in the long term bodes really well for margins, I think. But um, let's go ahead and do some Q&A here. We, uh, we only have about 10 minutes. Uh, thank you all uh, very, much, uh, very much for great, lively, I think, valuable discussion. Uh, I hope everybody in the comment section found that as well. But producer wife, let's go ahead and bring up the questions from our community, but only the best ones, which is all of them. Haha. <laughs> So go ahead, let's do the first one um, from J-Mac. J-Mac, question, at what price does Tesla become a takeover target? Whoa, stock price, right? <laughs> this is an interesting question. Um, boy, I don't know, what do you guys think? This is a weird question. <laughs> I, I don't think it, it, it becomes a takeover target because um, the, you know, Elon still has, um, you know, if he exercises options, has like, you know, 25%. And then you have um, uh, uh, Kogwan Lee, you have uh, Ellison, you have uh, enough, you know, I guess 40% retail too, you know, who, who you know, I, you could get over half if, if they say, you know, say, okay, we don't want to be taken over, you know, over 50% would say, yeah, yeah we're not going to be taken over. So I don't think it, it can, it can happen. And then you have huh. other money, other other. Kogwan could flip, man. His Twitter account has been a little wild <laughs> these last few weeks. Uh, what do you guys think, Hans or Richard? Thoughts? I, I mean, I would echo Brian. I It seems, I guess I don't understand the underpinning, like how all that would work well enough to have a strong opinion on it. But I would just be shocked if that was something that was possible at this point in time. Obviously, it's more possible now than it's been in a long time. But even even at that point, I I just yeah don't see how that could be. I I think uh, Elon plus insiders is just slightly over fifty percent. But uh, to be honest, I that's one thing that concerned me about the Twitter sales is because his his interest in his actual you know percentage interest in Tesla keeps on decreasing, and at some point in time, if he continues to do that. There will be somebody who could challenge his dominance there, and if I were going to say who would be a who who could who could target a buyout of Tesla, I would think Apple. Apple could do it, and if, if they wanted to get into the car business, like I, I haven't ever heard that Apple wants to get in the car business, but uh, if Apple ever wanted to get in the car business, they have the wherewithal to effectuate a buy. But the other thing would be that if you take it over Hostel. And you don't yeah. have Elon and you don't have the key guys. What Good do you luck. got? Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. You're stuck with an automaker at that point. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, next question. Great question, J Mac. Thank you. A challenging question for sure. Let's do the next one. JR, question. Chinese yuan has increased a lot to USD since Q3 report. Shouldn't this offset the price cut a fair chunk? Have any of you modeled this into your China margins estimations? That's an interesting point. Um, how do you guys think about this? Um, for the uh, Q4, um, China's uh, currency was still at the uh, weakened level. So two months, it, it dropped in December. So two or three months, it, it was at the, the higher level. So to me, it looks like average exchange rate was about the same between Q3 and Q4. So um, it doesn't affect it yet. Um, it would improve things in Q1, assuming the, the China currency improved rates um, continue okay Richard or Hans any thoughts there 
Yeah, I've modeled it into all my models. It's in every single one I've done. <laughs> you should <laughs> <share> it. Next one. <laughs> uh, Juan, uh, question. What market does the Cybertruck serve specifically? This is a fascinating question because this is the underpinnings of why I think Cybertruck is going to be so successful because it appears to be a brand new market that it has never existed. So when I think about Cybertruck, it's like a Ford Raptor, F-150 Raptor, which is like, you know, if you've ever seen them in the U.S., uh, producer wife, if you can find a picture of a Ford F-150 Raptor, it is a sick looking truck. But it's like you can see that the form factor is similar where it's really made for off-road. It has a lot of clearance in the front. It doesn't have the typical low bumper. So it's made for off-road. But it's electric. And it's the cost to operate that thing versus a Raptor is probably one-fifth to one-tenth total cost of ownership you know, versus a versus a pickup truck. Because the amount of gas and potentially diesel you have to put in that thing is, is a lot. It's very, very expensive. But with a Cybertruck, it's, it's going to be much, much cheaper. Yeah, perfect. So if you can... Um, Maybe go to the gallery for me uh, under, is there a gallery button somewhere over there? Key features, maybe under models and specs somewhere or explore F-150. Anyway, we can find it. What do you guys think about the, the question? What market does Cybertruck serve specifically? Sorry, Brian, we got you hidden <laughs> with the comment bar. No problem. So I, I shared a link um, which has the Bureau of Transportation Statistics uh, table on a uh, number of uh, truck registrations by type. So oh, um, you bring that up, producer wife. That'd be great. So the um, uh, U.S. has about like 160 million of these um, pickup trucks slash um, heavy SUVs and that kind of stuff. Um, of, out of a total of about like uh, I think 260 some million vehicles. So the U.S. is filled with a lot of like heavier vehicles um, in there. So I, I view the Cybertruck as competing against both the pickups and somewhat of the SUVs as well, that they're <clears throat> competing in, in both those markets. And then um, if they have the, the range under towing, you know, where they can move a lot of stuff, then they get to the work trucks, which is about um, 40 million of the, um, of the US vehicles are, are that. Um, so, so that uh, I think is, is the, and then of course of the global market where you have a smaller trucks uh, a lot of them in in asia um and, and other places so you have um quite a large uh, segment that is uh, what the cyber truck can potentially serve as they get more capabilities so, so it, for certain markets commercial vehicles it, it can you tow, tow the large amount efficiently and then for others where it's just like competing against um, an mdx or an f-150 or some off-roading vehicle yeah yeah um trying to get this thing to show more numbers anyway but maybe what we do is we share let's share the link in the comment section so people can uh, look at this on their own and then uh um we can move on here hans any any thoughts around cybertruck um just the you know i've said this before on these streams every segment that tesla has entered they basically destroy the traditional boundaries of that category and so you know the model three in the luxury premium sedan you know it outsells anything in that class and you see a lot of what's called the tesla stretch will 
where people who would normally buy something like a Camry or a Prius or something will upsell into this traditionally different category. You know, I think the thing is that these are these are new categories of vehicles and they're competing against old categories of vehicles. And so it is creating its own segment. Um, and yeah, I think the <clears throat> once fully ramped, you know, if they're able to sell these at price parity with current gas vehicles, it's going to absolutely just destroy these categories as well. You know, I think that if they can produce 2 million cyber trucks several years from now, that they can sell 2 million cyber trucks. Um, and you'll have a variety of buyers with a variety of needs all coming to that. Uh, you know, like if you can buy a $40,000 cyber truck, if they're able to produce at that price point down the road with uh, economies of scale, and they've in indicated their intention to do that to as long as uh, inflation doesn't get too out of hand, then, you know, you could see buyers who would normally pick up something like a RAV4, like are much more interested in getting something like a cyber truck, especially if they make a little bit smaller vehicle that can seat the same number of people as your RAV4, but you're driving an electric vehicle and you look badass instead of this little toy car. So, um, yeah, like don't underestimate the number of soccer moms who want to drive around in this big old beefy <laughs> tank and like talk about safety. Like that's going to yeah. sell a huge, it, it's already an underappreciated aspect of Tesla's brand, but you know, my wife wants to drive a Toyota Sequoia because it's a big old heavy safe tank and you don't have to be in a minivan with kids and uh, you know i think there's a, a huge number of people who I mean, we just know this about the united states we all want to drive big old cars we're not going to get sh shoehorned down into some little fiat 500 and uh you know Cybertruck is well positioned to capitalize on that aspect of american culture um, in a way that like i said will just destroy categories yeah i think gosh richard yeah, I was going to say, and, and uh, even though Tesla gets criticized every time FSD makes a right turn as opposed to a left turn, that car that fell off the cliff and the two kids were barely injured, that's a huge statement. I mean, it's a bad circumstance, but it's a huge statement of safety. I mean, to me. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, man, I don't think people are ready for Cybertruck. Everybody almost forgot about it with all this noise. 2023 is a year of Cybertruck. Look out. If you haven't seen one in person, I highly recommend you see one before it hits the roads because it, talk about a statement. Uh, let's do one more and then we'll, we'll go over to our private discord. You all see Peter Zihan tweet discussing uh, dissing Cybertruck. Um, I used to follow Peter Zihan and then I stopped because he was wrong 98% of the time. Um, <laughs> and so I, I really take the, the words he says with a grain of salt. Uh, how do you guys feel about him? Nothing, nothing personally, Peter, if you watch this, I'm sure you're a great guy, but you just I just can't, can't trust what you say. What do you think? Yeah, I, I follow them um, uh, closely to, you know, I have my blog, talk about future stuff. And so, you know, his uh, bold, uh, you know, big statements are, are interesting. He simplifies analysis. But the problem is that he um, makes things uh, too, um, you know, he, he does a, a simple analysis, say, about population and um, age bands and stuff like that. And he you know, make some broad statement that, that this will happen. You know, he's described like a 10%, 20% headwind. And then he says, because of this, China will blow up, you know, the China economy, and he's calling that for like 20 years. And then he'll say, and because of um, something looking at a snapshot from five years ago, 
of what the um, mineral component is of, a, of vehicles, electric vehicles, then uh, electric vehicles won't be able to scale because you won't be able to scale the mine or, or something like that. So his thing against uh, EVs is that, you know, we're going to, you know, run out of cobalt, run out of nickel, run out of this, and, and cobalt and nickel are not in the air and LSP batteries, right? So he, he didn't look at any kind of like, and how about the other side, right? He just says, okay, I'm going to have something I can, I can present in, in a few pithy quotes, and then I can make these broad statements of, and this will happen, ignoring all complexities. And so, uh, yeah, him dissing Cybertruck is, is, you know, just like he, he's dissing EVs too. He's saying that, you know, it, it can't happen, you know, physically impossible minerals and like that. It's like, uh, you don't consider any, any of the science stuff, any new technology stuff. He doesn't think deeper on that. He just like, I have this a uh, chart based thing and, and, and thus it can't happen. Hans or Richard? Thoughts? No? Okay. Yeah, Go I ahead, I, uh, I stopped following him before I started. <laughs> but um psh. thank you all very much. We're gonna head over to our private Discord to continue this discussion. If you'd like to be part of that uh, uh, community, consider becoming a patron by using the description, uh, the link in the description below. You can also do that by signing up through YouTube, right? By clicking join somewhere here if you're on desktop i think um actually not here because i'm not fully blown up just somewhere below anyway richard brian hans thank you guys so much very uh, lively discussion i hope it was of value to our to our viewership before you leave love it if you hit the like button so more people can see this and uh yeah let's take it over to the uh private discord all right everybody we'll see you around we'll see you guys on discord take it easy everybody